Thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today, and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nvplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. We're closing our series entitled More, and at the end of the sermon, I'm going to share some of the things that we will be doing in 2019. Um, for us, more is more than a word. More is what represents what God is expecting from us as we believe God for more. And more for us is an acronym that we have, in, we have embraced. Four letters making one word. M for more means maintain. We're believing that everything God has given us he is putting in us the responsibility to be good stewards of what we have, to maintain what we have, in order to hear what God said in the parable, you good and faithful servant. You are faithful in the in the little, therefore I will put you in much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So we need to maintain. The M for more is maintain. The O for more is overcome. We believe that in order to get big things, we've got to go through big things. In order to get big things, we've got to go through big things. And so the element of overcoming is quintessential towards us embracing the more that God has for us. So M, maintain. O, overcome. R, we understand that one, what God has for us we must rely on him. It is not our power. It is not our strength. It is not in our abilities. It is on God's grace and God's power. So M is, O is, R is, and E is to expect. So we're expecting it to happen. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know through who. But we do know it's coming. So more is where we're going. First week we talked about in order, using David as a model, in order for David to go into more, there were eight things David had that qualified him to stand before the king. One was he was a Bethlehemite, which represents house of bread, which is the type of the word. Two, he was skillful in playing. He was responsible. He practiced his gift. Three, he was a man of valor, not afraid, not fearful. Number four, he was a man of war. He has scars in his life to prove he'd been through some stuff. Number five, he was a calmly person. Number six, he was prudent in all of his matters. Number seven, the Lord was with him. Seven things that qualified David to stand before the king. And then week two, we talked about the importance of having anointing without a, before appointing. We talked about there are people that want to be appointed, but don't have the anointing to sustain that appointing. And last week, we also shared about some elements that we need to do in order to enter into more. Today, I want to talk about four things, and then I'll close. My first point today is moving into more 
requires you to relinquish foreign armor. Moving into more will require you to relinquish, to do away with foreign armor. At this point, David is ready, ready to fight Goliath. He's going to King Saul and he's saying, listen, none of you guys want to fight. I'm one of, I want to fight. I'm willing to fight. And it is now where we pick up the story where David is getting ready to confront this giant. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38. Then Saul drew David with his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword. He took Saul's sword over the tunic and tried walking around. Have you ever tried to do stuff and don't work? He tried walking around because he was not used to them. And look what he says. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took a staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. Put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. David tried to put on Saul's armor and it wasn't working. David tried to put on the gear and it wasn't working. And so David prefers to tell the king, listen king, I can't flow in this. I don't feel comfortable in this. And I know that, listen, listen, soldiers had a sword Soldiers had swords different from a king's sword. The sword of a king had different things that made it distinct from any other sword. The helmet of a king was double protection than any other helmet that any other soldier had. So to wear the armaments of a king, to wear the armor of a king was a big deal. And David tried to put on Saul's stuff. And he couldn't flow in it. And David prefers to stay with a sling. And then he says, I'm going to go to the stream. And I'm going to get me five stones. And Saul is looking at him like, dude, like, like do you understand who you're going to fight against? You need the sword. You need the helmet. You need the tunic. You need the coat of armor. He says, no, 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 no. I try to do your stuff, but I can't flow in that. So he goes to the stream. And I like what the Bible says. He goes to the stream and he got, put that scripture, that scripture up there. He got, he got, he got, he got five smooth stones. I'm glad he said it says five smooth stones. Because pray for me please. 
Because what makes a stone smooth? All stones are rustic, hard. But when you put a stone in a stream and the current of the water continues to beat on the stone, the stone loses its sharpness and it becomes as smooth as the stone. Now, bear in mind that in the Bible, everything has a typology and a meaning. The water in the Bible is a type of the Holy Spirit. David is saying, listen, listen, listen. I know that you fight giants with sword, but there's something about me taking something that's been in the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God has the power to overcome things that you can't do by yourself. So he got five stones, not from a mountain, not from a peak. He went to where the water had beaten on it because it represents what he's going to do. Today, I want you to understand this, that David decided before he went to battle. He decided some things can't change. I'm going to fight this giant. Saul is telling me to put on this armor. Saul is telling me to get the sword. Saul is telling me to get this, this shield. And, 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 and no, no, but, but some things in life cannot change. Some things in our journey cannot change. So what does David do? He says, I'm going to go back to do this the way I used to do it before. I'm going to go back and use my slingshot. I know it's outdated. I know this is indigenous. I know nobody used a sling no more. Everybody got shields and stones and, I mean, and swords and javelins and all this stuff. But I'm going to go back to what used to work and what works for me. If we're going to go into more church, we cannot compromise the things that brought us this far. And so, and so he had five stones. In his pastor's bag. And today I want to talk about those five things that we need to operate the indigenous weapon God has given us. These five stones represent five things that you cannot allow to lose in this life called Christianity. The first stone represents prayer. Do you remember when you first got saved? When you first gave your life to Jesus? You couldn't stop talking to Jesus. Jesus, how many sugars should I put on my coffee? Uh, Jesus, um, uh, should I go now at the stop sign or should I wait till the whole... <laughs> we was always in communication to God through prayer. But I don't know what it is that somewhere between us being saved and us being in church for quite a while, we lose the dynamic of the passion for prayer. <coughs> but we need to understand that some things are not negotiable. Some things we cannot negotiate. We got to become a people that we live our lives based and anchored in prayer. That we are a praying people. Because there's a promise for those who pray. Look what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 1 and on. Look what it says. It says, 14, 15, it says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Check this out. That if we ask anything, can you imagine? That if you ask God, I want this. Bing. God, I need that. Boom. 
God, I need that. Wang, right? But listen to this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, this is the key phrase, according to his will. And this is why many of us are frustrated. We don't pray no more because every time we pray, we want to pray our will. We want to pray what we want. I want a man. I want a girl. I want a house. I want a this. I want a that. Listen, listen. We, this is why prayer is important. You know why prayer is important? Because when you pray, prayer pushes you from having a conversation into having a relationship. See, when I started going out with my wife, I didn't know if she liked flowers. I didn't know if she liked cake. I didn't know if she liked to eat restaurants. I didn't know if she liked shoes. I didn't know what she liked. So, so here's what I needed to do. I needed to talk to her. I needed to spend time with her. I needed to visit her house. And when I went to her house and I saw the things that she liked, I began through a relationship, I began to know her needs and her desires and her wants. Now, when we live a life of prayer, when you live a life of prayer, you know God's will for you and you know God's desires for you. So that when you pray, you're not praying what you want from God. You're praying what God wants from you because everything God wants give you is for your goodwill but sometimes we just talk to God because we want and we want and we need but the Bible is saying if you ask him I'll give you everything as long as it's according to his will and you gonna realize that the more you are in prayer with God your prayer request will change the more you have a relationship with God the things you always spend time praying about that's gonna change because now you don't want to do your will. Now you want to do his will. And once you start doing his will, his will is to give you the things he knows that are good for you as you pray his purpose over your life. That we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked him. So church, we need to go back to prayer. We need to go back to prayer. But pastor, I pray every Sunday. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you and may the Lord be upon you and may you be salt in the midst of darkness and light in the midst of darkness and salt in the ceaseless world and I bless you. Yeah, that, that, that's corporate prayer. But we need to go back to praying in our closets. We need to go back to prayer. Listen, there's a verse I'm going to read you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Jesus is quoting this. Jesus is saying this. And he's saying this scripture to religious folk who will go to the synagogue and the temples and pray in public. So everybody can see them in public. And, and look how they pray. And they know the Torah. And they know the New Old Testament. And look what Jesus says. But when you pray, go into your room. And shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you in public. You've got, we, we've got to learn that a prayer life in private has more power than a, than a living in public. When you, listen, I want to get to the place in my prayer life that the moment I get out of bed, demons are going crazy because Gabby just woke up. I want to get in that level of prayer that the moment I get on my bed, hell is going crazy because you woke up. When you live a life of prayer, demons tremble. The enemy's got to flee. When you live a life of prayer you're walking in the will of God every day of your life we got to go back to prayer we got to go back to spending time with God in prayer 
David said, I don't need a sword. All I need is prayer. I could kill this giant with prayer. And Jesus himself emphasized. He gave a parable on this lady who was persistent to her master, to a judge for mercy and mercy and mercy. And Jesus says this, and then Luke chapter 18 verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. What does that mean? Always to pray and never stop. There's another verse in the Bible that says, pray always. Can you imagine that? Spanish, orar sin cesar. Pray always. Pray without cease. Well, Pastor, what, what do you want me to do? Go to work tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, hallelujah. I'm going to get fired. Well, what do you want me to pray? And when my boss is asking me a question, hey, how are you doing today? Holy Spirit, thank you, Jesus. No, 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 chill, chill, chill. When you live a life of prayer, that doesn't mean you're praying. It means that your life is for prayer. A life of prayer is a life of communication with God. A life of prayer is not just because the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, when they would go to, and, and you go to Jerusalem, this is how they pray. Back and forth on the wall, right, on the, the last wall of, of the walls of Jerusalem. And they're there, and they're moving, and they're doing all this. And Jesus said, no, 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 Papa, 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 you, you're missing the mark. When you pray, you don't need to do that. It don't matter who's watching. When you pray, go to your closet because there's something about a private prayer that when you come out of that private prayer, you're walking in the mind of God, you're walking in the heart of God, and everything you do and everywhere you go and everyone you come across through, you're going to walk in the purpose of God. And as a result, your life is a constant prayer. He says, I want you to pray every day without cease. Some of us, we only pray when we get in trouble. We only pray when we want God to take us out of trouble. But if you would have prayed before you got in trouble, you would have never been in trouble in the first place. Oh, God, Lord, please, can, can you kill the Lord? Can you kill my husband? I can't take it anymore. You should have prayed before you fell in love with him. Should have prayed. We got to go back to prayer. Second stone. I'm talking about indigenous weapons. I'm talking about old school things that we can't change. Number one, prayer. Number two, the Bible. The Bible. We got to be people of the word of God. We got to go back to the book. We got to go back to falling in love with the Bible. We gotta fall. We gotta go back to living our lives based on the word of God. Now, here's the power of the word. The power of the word is this: the Bible says in Jeremiah 23, 29, that the power is like. Listen to what it says. He says, "Is not war like fire?" Declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. There's some. Listen, there are some things in your life that you're trying to break. And you're trying to consume and you're trying to destroy in your own strength and on your own merits. But the, the Bible is telling you today, if you only apply the power of my word, if you only live in the power of my word, my word is not, is not a fire, is like a fire. What does it mean by saying like? It has the characteristics of fire. Fire 
illuminates. Fire brings warmth. Fire consumes. Fire destroys. And fire purifies. When you live a life with the word of God, your life will be warm in the coldest days of the enemy. When you live a life in the word, your light, the word will give you light in the middle of darkness. And this is why God is challenging us today. If there's something you cannot give up, it is the word of God in your life. The word of God. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 4, 12. He says, for the word of God is alive. It's alive and active. Oh, God, I can preach that for an hour. The word of God is alive. Every time you read the word of God. Every time you read the word of God. The word of God is alive. It's alive. It's alive. I'm telling you, it's alive. And, and I'm, you know, my, I'm, I'm going to say it. It's alive. It, it, it's what we call, it's what we call five expressions of the word of God. Every time you speak the word, the word of God has five expressions. It's what we call dunamis, exousia, energia, kratos, and, 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 and exousia. Every time you speak the word, something about the word could either bring energy, could either bring dynamite, could either bring authority, could either bring victory. That's why we're in the middle of your crisis. Crisis, become a people of the word because the word of God is alive. Every time you speak the word of God, it is a living, operating reality that brings power. He says the word of God is alive and active. Check this out. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Look what it does. It penetrates even to divide the soul and the spirit. Most of the mistakes you make in life stem out of the feelings of your soul. And the problem with many of us is we are led by our emotions and by our feelings and by our soul. We make decisions based on our soul and based on our spirit. But when you live with the Word of God, the Word of God does not let the soul take over. The word of God will always cause the soul to submit. That's why the psalmist says, the psalmist says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. In other words, you're not going to be in charge of me, Mr. Soul. My soul will bless the Lord at all times. When, when you understand the power of the word, because we as humans, the soul wants to control, right? But while the soul is after to control, the spirit wants to control, but the spirit is only going to follow whoever's in control. If the soul is in control, the spirit will die. But when the word of God is, the word of God will yank on the spirit and say, together, we're going to kill the flesh. Together, we're going to separate the soul so that you can live life based on the power of God and not based on your feelings and your emotions. He says the word of God is alive and able to separate the soulless things from the spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. And Psalms 119 verse 105 tells us that also the word of God is like a light and a lamp. He says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Psalmist is writing this. King David is writing this. Why is he writing this? Thy word is a lamp and a light. In the times of the Bible, when you would sojourn through the wilderness or through the desert, there was no light post like you have in the street. Yeah, I don't like post. So what they did was they invented, they invented, they invented. Because in the, in the wilderness, uh, the, the snakes and the scorpions 
were there at nighttime and you couldn't really see them. And they will come out at night. So if I was on a journey in the wilderness, I was more, I was more uh, open or more receptive to get poisoned by poisonous snakes and scorpions because I couldn't see them in the bushes. So, so what they invented was they invented a contraption where they would tie a device to the knee and on the outside part of the knee they had a lantern they had a lamp and the lamp had a light in it so that every time they would take a step whenever a snake and a scorpion would see the light it would run away from the light because they were afraid of the fire that's what when the bible says your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path what that means is in your life when the scorpions of life in your darkest hours are out to destroy you you need the word of god because Every step you take in the word of God is going to cause every viper, every snake, every scorpion to run away. The word of God in the life of a believer is quintessential towards your victory. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It lights my feet, but it shows me and gives me direction. So we see that the stone represents prayer. Number one, the second stone represents the word. The third stone represents fasting. Pastor, what does that mean? To run fast? No. <clears throat> what is fasting, Pastor? I don't know what that is. Fast. Every time I hear people say, I, I got to fast. I'm like, can I slow? <laughs> what is fasting? What is fasting, Pastor? Many people interpret fasting as not eating. You're fasting. That's what we call in the morning when you, when you eat. What do you eat? You eat breakfast. What, when you eat breakfast, what does that mean? You're breaking fast. Breakfast. Break fast. You're breaking fast. Because for seven hours, you didn't eat. So when you have breakfast, you're breaking fast. But breaking fast or fasting is much more than not eating. I know people that don't eat and they're so evil. And they always fasting. And they ain't going nowhere. Fasting. One of the arsenals we need to have in our walk to kill this giant is fast. The early church understood the power of prayer the power of the word and the power of fast. And look at this, Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. It was through fasting that God gave direction. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of decisions you're making outside of the will of God because you're not doing what God is calling you to do. If you, you'd be surprised how if you fast, pray, and apply the word, you're going to do the right things that God called you to do. It was in fasting and praying and worship that we're able to pick Paul and Saul for the ministry. When you fast, you align yourself to God's plan. You are receptive to hear. God's will over your life. They were fasting. Also there, in the book of Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Look what it says. Paul and Barnabas. The same guys who in chapter 13 was a party. They applied. They, they saw that when they got picked. Because Paul and Saul are the same guy. When they got picked, they saw that they fasted and prayed. Now look what happens. They the now, in chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders 
in each church and with prayer and fasting committed to them, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. In other words, what they saw do to them, they did unto others. And they lived a life of fasting prayer. Moses, Moses, it don't get better than Moses. Moses, 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 Moses. Moses was promised a promised land. Moses was promised the land that flows milk and honey. Moses was promised a land that the grace was this big. Moses was called by God to take his people out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. And wouldn't that be something you would want to do? Go to the promised land, make it to the promised land, eat of the big fruits and drink of the milk and honey and enjoy the fat of the land. And, 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 and Moses knew that he took them out to take them in and their destiny was the promised land. But right before they were going in the promised land, look what God, Moses tells God. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating or break, eating bread or drinking water. He was fasting. And it was there, and it was there where he wrote the Ten Commandments or the Ten Tablets. It was in fasting and prayer that God gave Moses direction to his people. It was in fasting and prayer that God gave a government system, a theocratic government system to his people. It was in fasting and prayer that God gave rules how to live a life that honors God. Now check this out. When you live a life of fasting and prayer and you apply that in your life not to prove you're more spiritual than anybody else, not to try to act like you are a religious person, but you're literally fasting and praying because you want God to do a work in your life. Listen to me. God will always give you instructions. God will always give you direction. God will always give you appointing. God will always give you his manifest presence in your life. But it comes out of reading the word, praying, and fasting. Now, check this out. Check this out. I'm almost done with this part. So, Pastor, what's the purpose of fasting? Is it starvation? Is it to look skinny? Is it the hashtag 40-day fasting? Ha, ha, ha. There you go. No, let me tell you. Isaiah tells us why we fast. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3 and 7. It says, why have you fasted? God is talking to the church people, the, the religious folk. He's like, why are you guys fasting for? Because you guys got it all twisted. Look what he says. Why are you fasting, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit it all and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Are you just fasting because you're trying to get right? No. Look, look what he says. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable of the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? And look what he says. I've chosen this fast to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? I'm fasting. How many people you fed? Food with the hungry. And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. This is the fast that God is looking for. A fast that says, God, I'm going to sacrifice for others. I'm going to stand in the gap. 
down so strongholds can come down. I'm going to stand in the gap for things to break. But while that's breaking, I'm going to bless my neighbor. That's the fast God is looking for. And as we fight this giant and go into more, we need prayer, we need the word, and we need fasting, church. I got two more stones I'm going to give you. The fourth stone is we need the presence of God. You need the presence of God. Moses understood he needed presence. God promises them promised land. But look what Moses says. Look what Moses says. Exodus 33, 15. Then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Do not send us up from here means if your presence don't go with us, I'd rather stay right here. As, as if to say, don't take me to the promised land. Where were they going? To the promised land. Moses told God, if your presence don't go with me, I don't want to go to the promise. If your presence don't go with me, I don't want to eat of the milk and drink of the eat of the honey. If your presence don't, I'd rather stay with you in the wilderness. I'd rather stay with you in cold desert-like places. I'd rather be with you, God, here drinking water off a rock than being in a promised land and not be with your presence. Listen, church, we got to get to a place where everything we do is based in the presence of God in our lives. I, you, you know what's the secret to a victorious life? is having God's presence in your life. When God is with you, when God is for you, when everything you do and everywhere you go, you know that you know that the Lord is with you like a powerful giant. That is a witness that lets you know that you can go anywhere. You can be anywhere. You can stay in the desert and know that God's presence is with you and you're one. You know that Moses was supposed to go to the promised land? Never made it. But he was always with the presence and he didn't get upset and he didn't get frustrated because the best place is the blessed place and the blessed place is where the presence of God is. David said, I need Prayer, word, presence. Here's another one. Anointing. The anointing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is available for every single one of us here in this room today. You should be operating in the power of the anointing. You should be living your life in the power of the anointing. Isaiah 10, 27 says, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. There are some things that the only thing that could break that thing in your life is the anointing of God. Not your money, not your resources, not your connections, not your popularity. There's some things that only the anointing can break the yoke. Now, I, I like I, the reason why God wants to break the yoke is not to keep you yokeless. God wants to break the yoke. Now, what's a yoke, right? What's a yoke? Well, oxen in the Bible, they used to put a yoke, which is a piece of wood like this, right? And they would put it on the neck of an oxen an old oxen and a new oxen, and they will yoke them together, right, to work the soil, to work the soil. And God says the anointing 
breaks the yoke. That thing that has you looking down, that thing that has you oppressed, that thing that the enemy has placed in your life that has you cursed, the anointing is the only thing that has the power to break that yoke because the ropes, as the anointing, the, uh, the yokes have ropes and the ropes through time get rustic, but the anointing begins to break through the rope. Oh, I'm preaching. No, I ain't do that. And, then, and as that happens, it breaks. But here's what happens Jesus said, once the anointing breaks the yoke, he says, take my yoke. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, once the yoke of the enemy is broken, then God puts you a good yoke. A good yoke. Because you're not supposed to live life yokeless. You're not supposed to live life yokeless. You're either going to serve the devil or you're either going to serve God. But the good thing about the yoke of God, when you let God yoke you, he's going to lead you into the place of purpose. He says, take my yoke, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. We need the anointing, church. You need to operate in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Anointing of the Holy Spirit. David said, I don't need a sword. I don't need a javelin. I don't need an armor. Here's what I need. I need prayer, the word, fasting, anointing, and presence. He said, I'll fight Goliath with those five stones. Let's go. Let's go. I'm going to fight. I'm ready. I got this. I got this. Moving into more. Will also require you. Put this up. Moving into more will require you to refuse to hear negative people. This is why you need the word, prayer, fasting, anointing, and presence. Because there's a spirit out there that is sent by the devil himself. To cause you to operate in fear. To cause you to operate in fear because of the negative thoughts and the messages of the people around you. This is why that's important. David, David, David sees Goliath. David sees Goliath. He says, I got this. I got this. I'm going to tell this guy. I got it. And then he goes to Saul. He says, listen, I'll fight him. But check this out. The king looked at him and said, dude, all right, you all do this. It's on you. Hey, sign this waiver. I'm not responsible. You ain't going to sue me. Right? But look what happens. His own brothers began to talk negative into him. His own brother. Samuel 17, 28. It says, then Eliab. I told you that Eliab means the Lord is my father. Then Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. Look what, look what. He burned with anger. He got pissed. He burned with anger and asked him, why have you come here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. He's telling David, you came down only to watch the battle. Look what he says. Pastor, where, 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 is, where is the discouragement in that phrase, those little sheep? Go back to the other verse. Go back to the universe. There you go. That's not it. All right. There it is. Okay. He says, he says, who did you leave those few sheep? That, that, that phrase, he could have said, who did you leave the sheep with? He didn't do that. He said, who you left a little few sheep with? It's almost derogatory. Like, 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 dude, what are you doing here? Look, look, your thing is taking care of the little, the little, the little, the little thing over there. What, you know, the little sheep over there, a few little sheep. His own brother is telling him, 
pulls them to the side and tells them, what are you doing here? Who do you leave this little sheep? Why? Because the word few implies you're not fit to be here with us. The word few means, Papa, lo tuyo, lo tuyo, eh, you know, over there, do that and, and, and say hello. But you can't be here. This is for men. But this is why you need to operate in the power of the five stones because you're not going to be discouraged when people come and speak discouragement in your life. Those who live in more are not swayed by negativity. You're not swayed by negativity. And here's why. Here's why the devil is discouraging you with, through the closest people in your life. Because this moment is either going to make you or break you. If David would have listened to his older brother, you know what, you're right. Let me take in my little few sheep. But David stood. And it was that overcoming that negativity that ushered David Overcoming a spirit of intimidation, overcoming the spirit of I can't do it. Listen, before he goes to battle, he had to overcome the intimidation spirit in his life. Before he killed the giant, he needed to overcome that spirit that says you can't do it. That self-image that makes you feel below your fears. That spirit that undermines your position. He had to overcome that to overcome Goliath. All of this that David is going through is preparing him. Preparing him for Goliath. <coughs> now, why is this important? Because moving into more will expose God's power in your life. Check this out. I'm almost done. Verses 45 through 51. David says to the Philistine, he got over his brother, and he goes to the Philistine, and he says, you come against me. With a sword and a spear and a javelin. You got three things. I just got one. <laughs> you got a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord. You come against me with a spear, I come against you with a name. Listen, all you need is a name. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have to fight. Check this out. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army of birds. In other words, not only am I going to kill you, I'm going to kill all your suckers. The army of the birds and to the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword nor spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David didn't run away. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching in his bag and taking out a stone. I don't know if it was the prayer stone, fasting stone, anointing, but he took out a stone. Taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down. Somebody say face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran him. You don't know the story. Check this out. Here's what you got to do as you're confronting your giant as you move into more. Moving into more will require you to operate in faith. In faith. The giant is big. 
but I believe. The mountain is big, but I believe. The obstacle is great, but I believe. Look what David did in faith. In faith, David prophesied. He looked at a giant and he prophesied to the giant. And he told the giant, this is what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to kill you today. Faith will always lead you to prophesy in faith. But then in faith, David ran to fulfill what he prophesied. A lot of people are good at prophesying, but you're horrible at fulfilling the prophecy. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. You can say, I believe, I believe, I believe it's going to happen. But if you don't make it happen, it ain't going to happen. David prophesied, I'm going to kill you. But while he was prophesying, he was running behind the word. So as the word was going to kill him, his actions was right behind the word. I spoke it. I'm going to do it in Jesus' name. In faith, he prophesied. In faith, he ran to fulfill what he prophesied. In faith, David relied in God and his arsenal. Prayer, Bible, presence, anointing, and fasting. What was the result of operating in faith? Somebody shout victory. Come on, somebody shout victory. What killed David? Indigenous weapons. What killed David? What killed Goliath? I'm sorry. Indigenous weapons. What killed Goliath? The simple things. The things that we always take for granted. Listen, you don't have to go to fly on a plane and go to a conference to get a word. Pray. Spending $300 in airfare, $200 in hotel, $150 in conference. Get on your knees, go to your room, close the door, pray. Victory. Giant with a stone. David killed the giant with a slingshot. Now notice, notice the scripture. We're going to go to that verse again. No, no, notice the scripture. Verse 49. Put verse 49. It says, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. How did he fall? The law of momentum says... That if I throw you an object, the object in the direction I'm propelling should cause the object being affected go in that same direction. In other words, if you're standing and I push you to fall backward. David threw a stone in Goliath, but the Bible says he didn't fall backward. The Bible says he fell forward. This defied the law of momentum. Because he was supposed to fall backward. But the writer wanted to emphasize that when you operate in faith, you break the laws. There's a law, which is the law of the spirit, that is greater than the law of the earth. That's why we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's why we got to live this thing by faith. When you live in faith, what's not supposed to happen is going to happen. He hits Goliath. Instead of falling back, he falls forward. Which falling forward is an act of worship. When you operate in faith... When you live a life of faith, 
When you live a life of prayer, word, anointing, fasting, and presence, every giant that the enemy uses against you to make you run has got to bow down and give God worship and bow down and give God glory and bow down and say there's no other God but the God of new birth. forward he worshiped the God of David because David did not imagine if David would hold on to Saul's armor here's another thing David couldn't have Saul's sword before he went to battle uh-uh because there's something about fighting the fight, trusting in God with your indigenous weapons, that in the fight, God gives you resources in the fight. It's in the fight that God gives you experience. It's in the fight that God gives you knowledge. It's in the fight that God opens the door. It's in the fight. It's in the middle of the fire while the three Hebrew boys are burning. None of them are in the fire. They're not burning. It's something about being in the fire. There's something about being in the middle of it. There's something about being in the fight that in the fight makes a way. David walked in the fight without a sword, but by the end of the story, David finishes the fight with the sword of Goliath. Goliath's sword was greater than Saul's sword. And he said, I don't want to go to battle with the sword of a king because I'm going into battle to kill this Goliath because once I kill this Goliath, the city of Israel will live in the power of God. It was in the fight that God gave him the weapon. It was in the fight that God gave him the authority. It was in the fight that the enemy began to shatter in fear. It was in the fight. That's why I don't give up. I told you a week, two weeks ago, we got to fight the good fight of faith. This is not a fight you're going to lose. There's a sword waiting in it. There's victory waiting in it. But you got to be willing to go empty-handed and trust in prayer and trust in the word and trust in the presence and trust in the anointing and trust in fasting. And by the time it's over, you're going to have victory in your hands. And everybody will know that there is a God in Israel. There is a God in New message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.